0: you've attended council hearings in person you've tuned in to our televised proceedings on channel 13 now you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it this is not a council hearing this is hearing the council with your host josh gibson
1: thank you deep voice person with a funky backbeat indeed this is not a council hearing this is hearing the council you can't have a government without a council so you can't have a government radio station without a council show this is it We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media at Council of D.C. If you don't follow us already, please do so immediately. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with a dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution so now without any further ado let's welcome our guest today ward six council member charles allen thanks so much for having me no thanks for being generous with your time and coming i'm looking forward to it uh now let, let's start at, at what seemed to me a, a glaring point that required uh, conversation <laughs> you are one of that famous subset of people who has two first names as your last name could also be a first name
0: i didn't figure that out until maybe high school or college because to me allen is a last name and um, people would start calling them my last name. And then I got very confused. And, uh, and then I realized that many people thought that I had a double first name eventually because they'd say, Charles Allen, and what's your last name? And I'd say, well, but it's Allen. And, um, and then I figured it out. Right, it was like a terrible Abbott and Costello routine. People still call me Charles Allen. Um, so I get the double name. I bet, I bet. Now,
1: because there's actually a meme of people with two first names. And the meme basically says, don't trust anyone with two first names. So I'd like to know where you come down on
0: that. I clearly trust, clearly trust. But I guess inadvertently I've continued this. Uh, our daughter has two first names as well. Um, her name is Cora Neal. And then she has a middle name, Elizabeth, last name Alan. Um, so I guess we just continued and ran with that two name idea. Right. Actually, I was coming at it from
1: a different direction um, because you're married to a Jordy, mm-hmm. and you have kids named Cora Neal and Everett. Mm-hmm. Was this sort of a rebellion against having sort of traditional humdrum English names? It seems like you have a hunger for non-traditional names now, or is that purely accidental?
0: I think it's a, it's a beautiful combination of some family names, and, um, and so my, but we also just do a difference. So my daughter has two first names and then a middle name, and our son has one first name but two middle names. Gotcha. We just gotcha. have too many names to fit in there. That's okay. the short version. That makes sense. And what we're going to
1: transition to is where you grew up. And I imagine being from the south, the two first name thing that that's kind of done, you know, Peggy Sue and you I guess more with uh with women
0: than men, but it may be that may be part of the maybe mystery. so. Yeah. I mean, I I've lived in DC now for a majority of my life, but I'm originally from Alabama and uh, from Birmingham. Right? And uh what was it like there?
1: What was what was your childhood like?
0: Well, I grew up in a, a great home in a great town. Um, certainly loved it, um, but at the same time, I also knew that I was looking for something different. And um, and so, as much as I had a great network of friends in high school, um, when I graduated high school, I I left um, and went up to college. Uh, did go back to Birmingham for a master's degree at the University of Alabama for a master's in public health, uh, but then quickly came to DC. Um, fell in love and knew that this was my home. Gotcha.
1: Um, did you have any leadership roles uh, growing up, or is this something that came uh, came late in life?
0: Um, I remember running for president of um, the math club, I think, in high school, and being utterly surprised that I won. Um, that might have been one of the first times. I was also very active in uh, Boy Scouts growing up, and so I was uh, the senior patrol leader and was one of the the youth leaders there. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it wasn't necessarily always intentional, but I guess I've in many different ways found different roles, um, of being asked by my peers to, to help provide a little bit of leadership.
1: And after being president of the math club, council member must be a bit of a letdown.
0: It's, I mean, it's been all downhill from there, clearly.
1: Yeah, but you get to throw a little math in, particularly at budget time, so it uh, keeps, you, keeps you sharp.
0: Exactly. I, I, can, I can try to do a little bit of long division when necessary.
1: Excellent. Uh, the other thing that I noticed was uh, you had a, a really strong health background, mm-hmm. a very deep health background, and I actually found out that you were an EMT yes. for a time. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I, I had thought that I was going to go be a doctor. Um, So I actually have, um, I studied biology in college. I um, had even prepared and taken the MCAT. I spent years as a uh, surgical tech. So I worked in high school and college. Um, I was a surgeon's assistant. So I I would scrub into surgeries. I have done a lot of surgeries. Um, Then I was a a trained EMT as well. Um, Along the way though, um, I really changed my focus. And really it was the summer Between my junior and senior year in college, I went to South Boston, I worked in a free clinic, and um, spent time there in Dorchester, and really was on the front lines of serving a a vulnerable community, a low-income community, one that struggled with access to healthcare, and it was a very formative experience for me, and I really changed the way that I viewed health and health policy. And so I had already taken the MCATs and was thinking that's where I was gonna go is go towards medical school. And I actually shifted gears that summer and started researching public health schools. And I decided to go get a master's in public health instead. Um, Fell in love with both epidemiology and public policy, kind of merged the two of those. And then um, I really realized that if the way that I want to make the best impact as possible, I want to help as many people as possible. And so I got attracted to come here to the District of Columbia, got a fellowship, and first worked for the federal HHS for about a year and a half, um, and found that I did not like working for the federal government. It was um, it was like an aircraft carrier trying to turn on a dime, and it wasn't very fulfilling professionally as well, but I'd fallen in love with DC. So I switched gears, became the policy director for the DC Primary Care Association, Um, And for folks that remember, this was a time when D.C. General was closing. We were trying to help stand up all of our PBC clinics into nonprofit health centers, um, shoring a lot of them up financially for the uh, patients and clients they serve. We were expanding our Medicaid program, so I helped write a lot of our Medicaid expansions, helped create the D.C. Healthcare Alliance, um, in particular helping make sure our undocumented neighbors um, had health insurance. And that's how I got involved with the council. Uh, my, My first foray for a couple of years in the council was I sat on the other side of the dais, testifying to the council at legislative hearings and budget hearings and oversight hearings, trying to get the council to do the right thing.
1: Now, we're going to definitely going to come back to that, but I want to go kind of a couple anecdotes back. First of all, how did it go over with your family when you went from possibly being a doctor to being in public health? There, you know, it was clearly a drop in earnings, and I think all parents <laughs> secretly in the back of their head uh, want their kid to be a millionaire. Was, it, was that, was your family big into public
0: service and it went over easily, or...? If they had any concerns, they sure didn't express them. Um, they Unless were very, very supportive of, um, of whatever I was looking to do. Um, and so, um, yeah, I had no problems. They, they were very supportive of making that switch and, um, and, and have always been very supportive of that. Gotcha. Now, on the EMT front, mm-hmm.
1: I, there's any number of reasons I could never do that job. But I think the number one reason would be the emotions of watching the emotions of the family members dealing with the injured people. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that would break me. I I can't watch an ER episode where they're pretending to be sad about someone being injured or, or, God forbid, dying. How can you be surrounded by that and uh, not have it affect you?
0: I think if you were to talk to um, health professionals, medical professionals um, from the frontline through the nurse, through the doctors, um, you are you're able to tap into something that recognizes you, you are in a moment where you're trying to help save someone's life, improve their health, um, and you have a job to do. And so that's, that is what you focus on. Um, I think what prepared me for uh, my, my EMT experience was actually working in um, the surgical suite in hospitals for several years. Um, it was an odd job, but I would be the guy who would first go up and get the patient who was coming in for a surgery. Everything from um, very complicated spinal surgeries uh, to hip replacements, knee replacements. Um, I have done a lot of uh, appendectomies. Um, I would go into the room and I would be with the family. And frequently, I would be in a room where um, before someone was gonna head into surgery, they wanna take a moment to to pray. And so I would sit there and in many cases, even would hold hands with a family. Um, as I'm about to put them on the gurney to take them down and, um, and see the emotion and experience the emotion of a family for a member of their family about to go into a surgery. Um, and then I would be the person who would bring them down to the surgical suite, get the room ready. Um, occasionally that same patient would have a little bit of a quizzical look as they would then watch the same person that had just picked them up on the gurney um, now scrubbing in to the surgery. But luckily that's about the time the anesthesia would kick in and so um, it worked out pretty well. That's that's their last thought. The
1: the the valet is going to be performing surgery on them. Exactly. It's interesting. It seems like there's a fair number of council members who come from a health background. You know, I'm thinking Vincent Gray is from a health background. David Grasso had a time in in the insurance industry. Jim Graham. Mm -hmm. How how do you explain that? I I can't think of another field that had that many people come come from it.
0: Well, when you view health as a right. Uh, not a privilege uh, when you when you come at that job. I'm not surprised that you also have a strong sense of public service and of trying to help serve others and try to expand this thing, healthcare that you believe is a fundamental right. Um, you know that background has helped me obviously in my job. Um, I'm I don't chair the committee on health, for example, but I, I work very closely with um, Mr. Gray right now, who is. Um, but it's helped me, for example, when we were watching President Trump and Congress try to. Uh, repeal the Affordable Care Act. Um, It helped me know what the right thing to do was to make sure that um, we wrote the Affordable Care Act into our local law. So we just went ahead and said, hands off, you guys wanna try to take this away, we'll stop you before you even can. And uh, in particular, all of those benefits that are there for women's health and the protections for women's health um, that was written into the Affordable Care Act, um, we just went ahead and grabbed it. And I, I, I knew to do that from my healthcare experience and seeing the threats to whether it's health access, health insurance, trying to make people pay uh, huge amounts of money for what should be their right. Um, I think it helped me, but it also didn't help my colleagues. When I turned to them to say, this is the right thing to do and I need your help, every single one of them came on board and supported that.
1: How, how would you say that, that either Ward 6 or the district as a whole is doing as a patient?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there are both signs of encouragement and signs of worry. Um, You know, I I do think of, obviously, I'm gonna be um, self-interested from a Ward 6 perspective. I think Ward 6 is the best ward in in the whole city. um, But at the same time, I think Ward 6 is probably your best snapshot of the city. You know, it's the only ward that touches all four quadrants, a huge diversity of neighborhoods and people. And if you wanna look at what's going right in the city, um, you can look to Ward 6. And if you wanna look to the areas of concern, you can look to Ward 6. So we have um, immense gains in education and we've got you know families and students that are having more and more confidence in our public school system um you look at um, the increase in affordable housing ward 6 is actually leading the way we have built more affordable housing and more homes dedicated for families earning 30 50 80 percent of ami and below um, in ward 6 and the other ward Um, there's just two snapshots but those are really good things Um, at the same time i look at ward 6 and i see parents who are concerned about and struggle with do they see their full pathway through our school system? Do they believe they've got a middle school and a high school ready for their child? And that's where I put a lot of my emphasis on work. I look at, um, even with us leading the way on housing, we still have immense challenges around making sure that our communities and our neighborhoods are affordable so that all families can know they can call Ward 6 home. And those are big challenges. So we, while I'm proud of the fact that we're leading the way, there's so much work to be done. So I think that that the district and Ward 6 um, I think that we have both. We have things to be incredibly encouraged by and proud of and things that we're doing so well on. And then we also have very clear areas where we know the work is not nearly done and we have so much ahead. And I think that's true for the city as well as Ward 6. So the patient's gonna
1: live but, but might need some physical therapy to... Uh...
0: I think that we... My belief is that we have to act with intentionality. Um, I believe that the 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 district is in great shape and this is this is the best city in America to live in. I think that the communities that make up the district are some of the the best that you will find. Um, That said, we still have to act with intentionality. How do we make sure that we are helping families and working families um, be able to afford to live here? How do we make sure that wages are going up? How do we make sure that people have benefits and access to services? How do we make sure that people can get the health care that they need? How do we make sure that they can have a quality education and see their whole pathway through? How do we make sure they can literally afford their homes and stay in these communities? Um, The patient is going to live, but the patient's going to live with intentionality, that we have to act with intentionality.
1: Right. And all the patients citywide should expect the same uh, good prognosis. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can't have it focused. Uh, in looking at your background, I also a couple of names popped out. Uh, one was Paul Wellstone uh, and another was Howard Dean. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit about how uh, how they influenced you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I first came to, uh, to D.C., I, I would argue I was fairly apolitical. Um, I was not, I'd never volunteered on a campaign. I wasn't actively out uh, campaigning for people. Um, was probably just kind of engaged on the periphery. And when I got here, as I worked on healthcare, I would go down to, um, to Congress and I, I would listen in to, uh, to Paul Wellstone. I'd sit in on a couple of the uh, Senate help committees uh, meetings and was really just enamored with Paul Wellstone, uh, with what he focused on, what he fought for, and and I was starting to get interested in politics. And I remember a friend of mine saying, um, listen, you, you've been talking about this a little bit, you need to go get on a campaign, go volunteer somewhere, go take at least a couple of days. And at the time, Paul Wellstone was in a really big uh, reelection battle with Norm Coleman, and this was 2002. And so I, um, I took the first political action I have ever made, and I volunteered. Um, called up that morning, uh, volunteered with a group who was gonna fly people out for the last week and a half of the campaign. I took the time off from, my, from work. And about two hours later, um, Paul Wellstone's plane went down and he and his family uh, were killed in a plane crash. And um, I remember calling up to the same place I had just talked to and everyone was you know, in utter shock. But, um, but he said, no, you're still going. There's a campaign that we have to win. And, um, and Paul would want everybody to go continue to fight. And, and I did. And I went up and, um, and we lost that election. And it was one of the, the biggest gut punches that I probably ever experienced. Um, and I came back to D.C. after that. I, uh, the bug had bitten in terms of understanding how important it was. Who are our elected leaders? And I had heard about this guy named Howard Dean, got involved, and um, then helping found, I helped found D.C. for Dean, which became the massive grassroots volunteer organization that helped make sure that uh, the only, unfortunately, the only place that he won outside of his home state was the District of Columbia, but it then turned into DC for Democracy, which still today is one of um, the, the kind of leading progressive voices uh, in our city. And so um, that political action helped me cut my teeth, it helped me learn a lot, it helped me learn the power of going door to door and talking with voters and, and the power of, of how much it matters who is elected into these offices. Um, not just how we hold them accountable, but what type of leadership they provide. And so um, it was something that was very powerful for me, and it's something that I keep. I've, I've got, um, you know, Paul, a, a picture and, and, and quotes from Paul Wellstone in my office um, because of, of what he means and and um, and how he inspires me.
1: And do you consider
0: your public service to be in the mold of
1: those two uh, gentlemen?
0: I certainly try to. Absolutely, um, you know, I think that I'm I'm viewed as one of the progressive leaders on council. Um, I have helped marshal through, um, you know public financing and electoral reforms that are really some of the, on the vanguard of, of our progressive values, um, helping fight for paid family leave, uh, to help fight wage theft, to help make sure we have, uh, workers have sick leave, um, making sure that uh, we have a minimum wage increase, helping fight for that. These are the things that I fought for. These are the things that, um, that I will continue to work for because they are important if we want the district to be a place that is, that is here for every district resident.
1: Now let's jump ahead. One of the things that interests me a lot is the different backgrounds council members come from, and what makes the best council member. And you're from one of the big subgroups, which is former council staffers. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I want to hear how you think that helps you in a way that being a former ANC commissioner uh, or one of the other the other backgrounds that are pretty popular. How do you think that helps you?
0: I think that. Being a former council staffer certainly helped me when I first got elected. Um, I I would argue that um, I had a very short learning curve, and I was able to be deeply impactful as a freshman right away. Um, the very first bill I introduced, books from birth, um, I was able to get that passed and fully funded uh, within four months of taking office. That's pretty hard to do. Um, it's now a program that and particularly with controversial subject matter, like giving books like to giving children. It's exactly. edgy, exactly. edgy, Exactly, it's edgy stuff. It's yeah. edgy stuff, but you gotta know how to get it done. Yeah, And, um, and so I think that certainly helped me. Um, I think it's also valuable because you, as a, as a council staffer, you spend time getting to know um, the value of actually, you know, how do you work with others? How do you depend on staff? The council member may be the best person in the world. If they don't have a good staff, they're not getting anything done. So it's helped me make sure that I also stay focused on having a great team that is working on behalf of Ward 6. How do we make sure that we are um, delivering for the residents? How are we focused on the issues that matter most? Whether that is a, a pothole that needs filled, a trash that got missed, a new crosswalk or stop sign that needs to go in, as well as the big issues. How do we help make sure that we are leading on the important legislative and policy and budget issues of our time?
1: Um, now the note that your staff passed me and wanted me to ask you, and that's a total fib, there's no note. Uh, how do you think being a staff member has informed how you relate with your staff members?
0: Mm. Um, I, think I, had a, um, I think I had a great mentor. You know, I was the chief of staff for the former Ward 6 Council member, Tommy Wells. Um, one of the things that, and he, so he and I worked very closely together. I was his chief of staff for seven years. Um, and One of the things that we greatly valued was making sure that the staff felt like they were a part of decision-making, um, that they, you know, that, that we would feel comfortable um, polling the staff, getting their thoughts, having staff disagree with the decision, and, and being able to talk that out. And so um, I hope that my staff would reflect back to you, um, that that's part of, of what I now do as a council member, is that as chief of staff, that was important to me, that staff felt their voice had power, um, that we could listen, and even if we disagreed, we'd respectfully disagree, hear each other's points, and that at the end of the day, that makes a better council member because they can get to a better decision. And even if that decision is contrary from what the staff is, you had to defend it, you had to hear alternative views, and then be able to get to your space. And, um, and I try to put that in practice as, as a member myself now. Um, I have a great staff, an incredibly smart, talented group of people, um, and we sit down in a room, and, and I want to hear from them. And when I'm, when, they, when I'm doing something they disagree with, I want to hear what their concerns are, talk about it, um, and it makes me a better council member when I do that.
1: The other uh, sort of unique element of your past and present role is that your former boss has testified before you when you were on the council. How is that? I think we'd all love to
0: have that uh, circumstance. Well, I do think that there's still, it's highly suspicious, and I don't know if a full investigation has ever been done. Um, at Tommy Wells' confirmation hearing, to be the director of the Department of Energy and Environment, um, he went through all his questions with Council Member che, who was chairing the committee, and then as, as the member of the committee, I, it's my turn, finally. And as we start, not two seconds go by when the, uh, the fire alarm in the Wilson building goes off. And it was a false alarm, I'll report. And um, we had to end the hearing and, and, and walk out. And um, I never got to ask my questions for his confirmation process. And I think he was behind it. I think that uh, he clearly had people on the inside still working at the Wilson building to help get him out of that situation
1: yeah yeah I think he he had wedged a disposable plastic bag into the fire alarm and it, it fell out at just the right moment exactly or maybe a nickel that he got from turning in
0: you or know. he had their you know they have a a flock of uh, bald eagles is what I understand, and so he can have them fly like right. a like a carrier pigeon and probably came and just pulled the alarm yeah so so they didn't reconvene after the the fire drill uh Mary concluded the hearing right there. it's again, it was a massive conspiracy. The investigation's yeah. never taken place. That's um, not right. I don't know why there hasn't been an independent commission into this. Well, we'll
1: get into that. Yeah. I'm sure we'll yeah. we'll tackle that uh, sometime soon. Um you're too good to be true. Handsome guy, beautiful family, super smart, butt kind of staff. Uh you know, <laughs> you're 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 just sort of like, you know, eagle scout, you're kind of Mr. All-American. And what I want to know, didn't play like quarterback like not All-American. Yeah, but I want to know what um what, what's something bad about you? Like something despicable? Like do you <laughs> kick puppies? Do you hate Oreos? Like do you name something that would truly paint you in a bit of a bad guy role?
0: I don't like to share Girl Scout cookies. Um, <sighs> if you give me a box of Thin Mints, I'll probably eat both both sleeves in about five minutes flat, and I'm not going to share them.
1: Yeah, that's
0: but that's probably do, human nature. I would do the same with Samoa's too. Okay,
1: if you would actually like consume a Girl Scout, like that's the kind no, of caliber no. of information yeah. that I'm looking for. No, I, I try to restrict it to the cookies. So you're, you're not... I thought maybe the beard. I thought the beard was sort of a a cry for help. I need to have something bad. The Girl Scout cookie thing isn't doing it. That uh, was just
0: pure laziness. When my um, when our son was born, uh, I stopped shaving.
1: Yeah, I, I also have a beard, and, and the way I describe it is if you stopped any other um, matter of public hygiene for several months society would rebel if you stop brushing your teeth for six months or showering for six months, it wouldn't go over great. No, but,
0: but beard but, works. Yeah. Right.
1: You stop shaving and yeah. it's a fashion decision. Yeah. So um okay we have a couple closing questions that we try to get into every show. Um as you may remember, James Lipton from inside the actors studio, in an homage <laughs> to Bernard Pivot <laughs> oh of God, the that's... seminal program, Apostrophe would ask all guests the same ten thought-provoking questions. I will not be asking those questions. Instead, please rank, in order of preference for you, these five items. Cake, candy, cookies, ice cream, and pie. Well, I'm, a, I'm a believer that you can tell a lot from the way people answer this question.
0: But this is such a complicated uh, set of questions here. What type of cookies are we talking about? What type of flavor ice cream? What, what season the, is it?
1: One of the ways this is interesting is the number of people that just answer once they're given the presentation than the people who uh, you know ask a. it matters questions. greatly
0: what type of cake I like chocolate cake but I don't know if I would want to put red velvet cake at the top of the list I, I, I think you, you have to do your best um, I'm, I will I cannot walk past a tray of cookies without eating three to ten of them so I, I'd probably go with cookies okay and then, and then how about let's go down oh I gotta I'll rank them all Okay, yes. I would go cookies, ice cream pie, cake, candy Gotcha. Gotcha. I don't know what that tells you about me. Um, I say this
1: every show. It's the pie people who make me nervous. Yeah. If you put pie up first, that's not a real dessert. It's it's tasty, but it, I don't count it as a dessert. It depends. It, depends it makes pie, me suspicious. depends on if I've
0: got ice cream on top of it. Is it warm? Is it room temperature? It's a lot of factors that go into how you rank the pie. Definitely.
1: Um, another uh, closeout question that has been t- a total failure so far that no one has, has helped help me out on, so I'm hoping you will. Do you do any impressions?
0: No. <sighs> just batting zero on the on the impressions question i I would wager that anyone who does impressions is just not going to reveal it to you yeah that's probably true i mean it it
1: could be an impression nobody wants to do a bad impression
0: yeah it could be someone in the wilson building a movie
1: star but no 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 you got got nothing um and then the the last question is going to be is there any what is a, a silly little something that you can't live without in life Let's say not food, because we've talked a lot about food. But is there something that you... I'm crazy about Ziploc bags. I, if you took Ziploc <laughs> bags away from me, I store stuff in them. I travel with them. I... Is there anything like that that you're irrationally attached to?
0: Irrationally attached to? Um,
1: or we could just go with attached to.
0: Okay, attached to. I... Um... Gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what would be like a, a weird attachment that would be interesting.
1: Um, you know, like some people they if they don't have the right pen, you know, the right exact felt tip pen on their desk, it makes them nervous and they think it's bad luck. Nervous.
0: Or, I do have I do have particular pens that I prefer to use. Um, but but it doesn't I, I I can survive the day without that. I absolutely have to have a cup of coffee in the morning. Okay. I think that's, that's that's pretty
1: boring. That's what everybody probably that, that's would good, feel but like that's, they need. And and that's a little bit dark. You know, and are trying yeah. to find I your like dark side, like the yeah, live it up, yeah. Yeah. go nuts.
0: Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't feel like I have a good answer for you on this one.
1: Uh, that's that's okay. I've had a lot of time to think about it, and you haven't. So, um, but unfortunately, we have run out of time. I have oh to get goodness. back to my uh, Ziploc collection. Um, but uh, thank you very much for joining us. Tune in again next time, listeners. Um, we're coming to you from DC Radio at ninety-six point three on your HD four dial or at dcradio.gov. Thanks very much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for having me. You're you're very welcome. Thank you so much for coming and being generous with your time. You got it. Appreciate it. Let's do it again. Sure thing.